All right, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. If you don't have a traditional Bible but you'd like one, just raise your hand. One of my friends will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. You can also take your digital device and open up the version, or it's also called the Bible app and all the notes and scriptures have already been uploaded. If you're watching us live on our online campus or at one of our 22 services at the Brown County Correctional Facility or at our Howard Swamico site, welcome. We love you and we love you guys. Thank you that here on this Groundhog Day Sunday. This is the first time you've been here, I think, I promise. And so, so glad that you're here. So give yourselves a hand on Super Bowl Sunday, whoever it is you're cheering for. Hopefully you, you got good food. And so I hope that this series has been both practical as well as applicable to you because no matter how you slice it, we are at war. And we are at war against a very real enemy. And one of the reasons our enemy overcomes us is because we don't understand his nature, which is why we're taking a few weeks and we're looking at some of his names, we're looking at some of the titles that Scripture uses for him because we've discovered that the more we learn his names, the better we can understand his nature. And so far, we've looked at the title Lucifer, which Pastor Sonny told us means light bearer and his greatest weapon is pride and we defeat that with worship. Last week, we looked at the title Satan, which means adversary or opponent, and his greatest weapon is underestimation, which we defeat with scripture. But this week, I want to talk to you about the devil in a message that we're calling The Devil is in the Details. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're grateful to you. God, thank you that you were here before we got here. That God, you didn't have to visit this place, that your Holy Spirit was already here waiting for us. And so today, God, I pray as we do our very best to eliminate as much of us as we can, that you would fill that void, you would fill those empty spaces with you, because God, we want to leave here less like us and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Devil, it means slanderer or accuser. And he tries to divide us from every redemptive relationship in our lives. In fact, there are four particular relationships that the devil doesn't want us to have. And so because of that desire for us to not have those relationships, he is constantly trying to separate us from them. He is constantly trying to separate us from God, from marriage. Now, I understand that not everybody in here is married, but the state of marriage has a direct impact on the state of our culture. And so he attacks it. He attacks God. He attacks marriage. He attacks the church and he attacks authority because it is God's will that every person would be in a loving relationship with him, in a committed relationship of marriage or family, in a strong Bible-believing church, and finally, in right standing with authority on every level. On the flip side, though, the devil's will is that every person would be separated from God that every person would be without committed and loving marital or family relationships, that every person would be without a church, and that every person would be in rebellion against authority. To which I would say, friends, welcome to the state of America. Because what we see in our country, in our culture, is the devil, Diablo, constantly working on every level, trying to divide us from every redemptive relationship. But God created us to need him and to need each other. In fact, 
After God created everything, he said, it is good except for one thing, which was for man to be alone. God saw Adam by himself, and scripture says that he said, it is not good for man to be alone. We need relationships with God, with a member of the opposite sex, with friends, and with people of authority who can lead us and who can guide us. So how does the devil divide us? He does it surgically. He does it systematically. Here's the first way that he does it, is he divides us from God. But how? Well, he attempts to do it in a number of ways, but there are three particular ways that he puts most of his efforts in. Here's the first, is he attempts to accuse God to us. And so the devil will try to use every bad thing that happens in our lives as an opportunity to tell us that God is not good. Every time we can't pay a bill or our car breaks down, every time there's pain or a problem, every time someone hurts you or someone dies prematurely, anytime anything happens that we don't understand, the devil uses as an opportunity to try to tell us that God doesn't love us or that we can't count on him. And so he constantly accuses God to us, and he's been doing it from the very beginning. Look in Genesis chapter 3. It says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field that God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? But the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it or you shall not touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you won't surely die, for God knows that in that day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God and you will know good from evil. And right there, in the very beginning, the devil is accusing God of trying to keep her from being everything that she can be. And he's doing the same thing to me and he's doing the same thing to you. And he is masterful at it. In fact, he is so good at trying to accuse God to us that let me show you how good he is at it. He took two perfect people in a perfect paradise and convinced them that the perfect presence who put them there was bad. Even though they'd never had sickness, even though they'd never seen a storm, they'd never had a burden or a bad day, they had constant access to the presence of God and the paradise of God, and yet the devil comes along and somehow convinces them that God was wrong. And in that moment, the devil revealed his secret weapon which is stealth. What makes the, the devil so dangerous is stealth. The scripture just said the serpent was more cunning. Now, the devil could have taken on the form of anything. The reason why he chose the serpent is that serpents are stealthy. I mean, there's a reason why he didn't choose a dog. Dogs are never stealthy. There's nothing sneaky about dogs. When you leave, if you have a dog, when you leave the house in the morning, you close the door and the dog sits there and he waits. And he thinks about you all day. And he thinks about when are you coming back and how long will it be and how much he can't wait until you come back. And then when he thinks about you, his tail wags. And when he starts thinking about 
you know, kibble or treats. His tail stops for a second, and then he starts thinking about you again, and he gets excited, and he sits at the door, and he says, is it here yet? Are they here yet? Are they here yet? I know that because I've seen the movie Pets. I don't know if you knew that that was a, was a true story or not, but it was based on actual events. I mean, listen, you could leave your house. You could, like, leave your house, close the door, go, oh, I forgot my keys. Open the door, and your dog will freak out, like, oh, my gosh, there you are, yay, I've been waiting all day for you, and will, like, freak out and put his paws up on you and run in circles and hit you with their tail. Devil could have never been a dog. Dogs, there's nothing sneaky about a dog. So he really only, at the end of the day, had two viable options. He could come as a snake or he could come as a cat, but not even the, de the devil is that evil. He thought about being a cat. He said, man, I can't do people like that. So he, he said, let me just come as a serpent. So he came as a serpent because serpents are sneaky. They're stealthy. They, they slither up, and you don't even know that they're there. And it's what makes him so dangerous that, the, that he can slither in and slither out before you even knew that he was there. In fact, 2 Corinthians says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. It's saying that we may walk in the flesh, but we don't war in the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are God's thoughts. And so we submit our thoughts to him and submit ourselves to his thoughts. And I want you to hear this. And if you, if you only write one thing down today, write this down, put it in your phone. Any thought that you don't take captive is going to take you captive. The devil is so desperate to keep us from knowing God that he'll do everything he can to build strongholds in our mind that will keep us separated from him. Things like confusion, condemnation, intimidation, and insecurity. In fact, you'll never meet anyone who was more insecure than I was before Jesus. And so how do you win a war with the devil? You bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus. And in this context... The, the original words that we translate into the English saying into captivity actually means to hold at spear point. It's a battle term. And so the devil may not be able to read your thoughts, but he is able to put thoughts into your mind. And he does that by whispering lies into your ear, into your heart, into your mind. And they are so slick. They are so sneaky. They are so... Stealthy. They're things like, you know, if you just would have this. Or, or you know, if he were or if, if she were. And he's, he's subtle. He's slick. He's stealthy. He's sly. And he slips in, sneaks in, slithers in with perfume or six-pack abs. He whispers a promise, a thought. Things like, you know, you can't be or, you know, you won't be. Things like, you, you know that you've done too much. You know God doesn't love you, right? Well, I, mean, I mean, you know that he doesn't love you because, because if God did love you, why, why, did, why did he do this to you? Or, or if God loved you, why did he let that happen to you? If, if God loved you, why, why can't you pay all your bills? If God loved you, why aren't you as successful as him? Or if God loved you, why did he leave you for her? If God loved you, why isn't your marriage like their marriage, and their lies, and they are constant. The question is, how do we know whether or not it is the devil? And it is because he slithers, and because those thoughts don't line up with Scripture. Scripture does not sneak. Scripture does not slither. Scripture screams. 
fact, in Matthew chapter 7, it screams that you have a perfect father, and that father knows everything about you, and yet he still loves you, yet he still cares. So when the devil begins to try to accuse God to me, my attempt is to put a spear or a sword, if you would, under his neck and say, you're going to have to listen to what Jesus has to say about this because it is written. It's the same way that Jesus combated the enemy when the enemy tried to accuse God to him. Here's the second way that he tries to separate us from God is he accuses us to God. In Revelation chapter 12, it says, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of Jesus have come for the accuser of our brethren who accuses them before God day and night has been cast down. The devil is constantly throwing accusations against us to God. Things like, did you hear that? Or did you see that? Look how he this. Or listen to how she that. And they are constant. But fortunately, those accusations will never be heard because Scripture says that you and I have an advocate. His name is Jesus. And he stands at the right hand of God and he defends us and defeats the devil. So the devil tries a third way to separate us from God is he accuses us to ourselves. Even though the scripture says nothing can ever separate us from God, God's love, the devil will try to get us to separate ourselves. And he does that through something called condemnation. Now, obviously, we are not perfect. None of us are. Everyone in here sins. Everyone in here makes mistakes. But God isn't surprised by that. There are no gasps in heaven. You, you don't say something or do something and have God go, oh my, oh my me. Like he, he just, he does, it's nothing surprises God. He knows that we're going to make mistakes. And so because he knows that, he is prepared for that. And he has a tool that he uses to bring us correction. And that tool is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit brings us correction through something called conviction. Now here's how you know when you are experiencing conviction. Conviction is specific. It's loving. It's helpful. It sounds a little something like this. When, when I make a mistake, I hear this voice that says, Sean, that's not good. Uh, you, you can do better than that. Let, let's, let's not do that anymore. Let, let me help you. That's conviction. Conviction is never angry. It's never threatening. That's condemnation. And condemnation is the counterfeit of conviction. God's tool when we make mistakes is conviction, but the devil's tool when we make mistakes is called condemnation. Here's how you know that you're experiencing condemnation. Condemnation is general. It's hateful. It's hurtful. Condemnation may sound a little something like this. I would make a mistake and I would hear in my mind, you're a no good, good for nothing. You're weak. You're pathetic. You've always been weak. You've always been pathetic. You're never going to change. Stay away from God. He'll never forgive you. He's sick of you. You are small. That's condemnation. But Romans chapter 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you what's wrong with condemnation. Condemnation makes it all about us. Grace, on the other hand, makes it all about Jesus. The devil would love for us to make it all about us. That's why the biggest section in any bookstore is self-help. 
There is no self-help. You will never, ever, ever be able to help yourself. We cannot make it about us. We have to make it all about Jesus. God didn't send his son to condemn us. He sent his son to forgive us and to accept this. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. But the devil is constantly trying to divide us from God. So we have to resist him. We have to reject him. Here's the second way that the devil tries to divide us, is he tries to divide us from marriage. Now again, I understand, not every person in this room is married. In fact, there is a subset of people in here who never want to be married. You grew up in a house with a terrible marriage, or you grew up in a house that was broken by a broken marriage. You, you have people in here, there's a subset of people who not only never want to be married, they never want to have kids, and you hear the constant argument about why would I want to bring a perfectly good child into a perfectly terrible world like this. And so I understand that there are people who never want to be married, but we have to understand the significance of marriage because all throughout Scripture it talks about how God loves marriage, which then makes the devil hate marriage. And the devil hates marriage because it is the perfect image of our relationship with God. So marriage has been under attack from the beginning. Jesus talked about it. Jesus dealt with it. Jesus had to confront it. Look at this really interesting story in the 19th chapter of the Gospel of St. Matthew. And it's this really interesting conversation dialogue between Jesus and some very religious people. Some very devout religious people. They're called Pharisees. Watch this. It says, the, ver the Pharisees came to Jesus testing him. They said to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Jesus answered and he said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And for that said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Now watch this. This is a typical religious person response. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And I, lo I love Jesus. Jesus don't play. Jesus plays no games. He, he's not going to be trapped. He's not going to have his words misused against him. He said to them, Moses, comma, I picture that like this, like Jesus snapped his head, actually. Like that's a literary pause. Like Jesus said, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, comma. I love it. Just always, next time you read a comma, picture it like a head snap. Moses, snap, pause. Because of your hardness of heart, snap, pause. Permitted you to divorce your wives, pause, snap, comma. But from the beginning, it was not so. Here's what Jesus was saying. Moses made a rule, not because of me, don't blame me. Moses made this rule because of the hardness of your hearts. So let me ask you a question. How is it that a couple can go from being so madly in love? I'm talking like seventh grade puppy love. You know that love back when you used to have phones? Remember when we had phones the parents could monitor? Remember you used to be on a phone and somebody pick up the phone and you hear a clunk and you hey, somebody on? Yeah, I'm on. Go ahead, playboy. Go, you know what I'm saying? You, you'd have your phone. You'd be like this, though. You ever have the long cord phone? If you was a fortunate kid, like you had a long cord phone. This is you with the long cord phone. 
around the corner. What you doing? <laughs> Nothing. What are you doing? <laughs> Nothing. What are you doing? <laughs> Thinking about you. Oh, snap. That's the line right there, right? Seventh grade, heavy breathing, puppy love, got no car, can't get nowhere. Say you're dating, but mama's got to pick her up in the minivan. I'm just saying this. I'm saying, how can two people go from that Twitter-pated thumper tapping his foot, love, you know, hearts above the head, to being so hard-hearted? To be in people who hate each other. To get out of my face. I can't, I don't even want to look at, I can't even stand the sound of your, I can't even stand your breath. You're like, dang, you can't stand my breath. I mean, I'm not talking about I can't stand the smell of your breath. I can't stand the existence of your face. And people can go from so madly in love to so hard-hearted like that. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us, here's the cure. Be angry. You're going to be angry. But don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath or give place to the devil. It is so simple, y'all. Be mad. Everybody's going to be mad. Everybody's going to get angry. But when you get angry, you have to stop it before you sin. And one of the ways to help that stop is do not go to bed angry. Because when you go to bed in anger, you've now left an opening for the devil to slither in and accuse your spouse. Then slither out before you even know that you've been deviled. And first of all, you've been deceived. And when you've been deceived, you now believe a lie about your spouse. And then, second, you lose your passion. And when you lose your passion, you get hard-hearted. Listen, you got to be creative. you got to fight against having a hard heart. you got to fight against letting that anger linger inside of you. Pastor Sonny and I have a couple of friends who they are the most creative arguers that I have ever met in my life. The minute they start fighting, she strips down butt naked. It is, listen, it is difficult to argue when somebody's naked. I'm just saying that. It is difficult to be angry at somebody when they are naked. It gets uncomfortable in Target. I'm just saying, no, I'm playing. They don't, they don't do that. It is only in the, in the calmness of their heart. But you can turn a tender heart into a calloused heart real quick by holding a grudge. And if you are holding a grudge, if you are going to bed angry, you are under the influence of the devil and you are forming deeply held beliefs about the person you're supposed to love the most. But those beliefs are lies. When you are walking in anger and unforgiveness, you can never trust how you feel. And so Pastor Sonny and I, we determined a long time ago that we would do everything we could to make things right before we go to bed. We don't always do it perfect, but for the most part, we do the best that we can to not go to bed angry. And in that process, I have discovered something about myself. The later that it gets, the more humble I become. I am a morning guy, like, you know, 5 a.m. guy, I'm up, like, ha, let's go. But, which means I'm not a night owl. I, when night comes, boy, I'm like a senior citizen. Make me some dry toast, some ginger ale, some Jeopardy, I'm out. I'm a good night is what I'm saying. Actually, my kids caught me watching Jeopardy the other day, and they were like, nerd. They thought I was such a loser. And so, like me, it gets late. I, I don't got it in me, y'all. So here's what happens. If we get in an argument 7 o'clock at night, ooh, I got a lot of fire in me. 8 o'clock, you know, I'm, I'm still fighting. I, I'm waning. 
but I'm still fighting. Nine o'clock, I might be wrong. <laughs> 10 o'clock, I probably am wrong. 11 o'clock, every problem in the world is my fault. That's all I'm saying. I just want to go to bed because, you know, nine o'clock hits, I have one eye that goes out before the other, first of all. I don't know if you have the case of this, but Sonny will look at me when we're having a conversation and she'll say, you're getting tired because your lazy eye is kicking in. And I'll have, like, I'll look like me and Deontay Wilder just went 12 rounds. One eye puffs up. It's all my fault. Now, even if your spouse won't make things right with you, you can still devil-proof your heart by forgiving them before you go to bed. You can't let an evil devil divide you from one another because he so desperately is trying to divide us from marriage. Here's a third way the devil tries to divide us is he divides us from church. Here's some things that, that Jesus understood that we may not. He said in Matthew 18, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. You just experience this. But there is something special about God's presence when we are together in the presence of other Jesus people. And people have asked me, why doesn't that same something exist when we're by ourselves? And it is because God never intended us to do life by ourselves. Church is a weapon that God designed to defend us from the devil. It's why Jesus told his friend Peter, you are now Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There is a pronounced power and protection when we are together. And so the book of Hebrews said, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage each other, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We are living in the most evil day in human history. Isn't it encouraging when we hang out in here with a bunch of other Jesus people? We leave here feeling encouraged. We leave here feeling lifted up. We leave here feeling refreshed. And the devil hates that. So he is constantly trying to divide us from church, trying to tell us in our culture that church is unnecessary, that you can go anywhere that you want and you can be by yourself and you can have church. Listen, you can listen to a message by yourself, but you can't have church by yourself, which is why we're doing everything we can to create the most unique ways that we can think of for people to experience church, whether it's here in an auditorium or in Appleton or whether it's at a restaurant in Howard or, or whether it's in a place downtown Green Bay where we sit around tables and watch a talk and have dinner and have conversations at the end and give people the opportunity to ask whatever questions they want, whether it's something like Alpha where you can come and ask whatever questions it is that you want and nothing is off limits, whether that's one of our 22 services in the Brown County Jail, and there are lots of ways that you can get plugged into any of those campuses. The last one, I suggest the least, is all I'm saying. But if you are here and someone has told you that church is irrelevant, let me say this. Church is not the thing that hurt you. A person is the thing that hurt you, and they were a representative of something that they distorted and you got distracted from. But do not blame a good God for a bad person. Do not blame a good system on a bad person. Church not never one time was the thing that hurt you. It was people who worked there. And so he will constantly try to divide you from church. Here is the fourth way that the devil tries to divide us, is he will attempt to divide us from authority. Listen. I want, you got, I want you to fight to keep your ears open on this one. Because all authority 
is from God. Watch what St. Paul said in the book of Romans. He said, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. Watch this. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he who does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Let me give you a little context. When St. Paul wrote this, he wrote this to a city called Rome, to a church in a city called Rome, which was being governed by a person named Nero. Nero was the most evil person the world had ever seen. In Rome, every religion on earth was not only tolerated, but it was celebrated except for two, Judaism and Christianity. And the reason that Judaism and Christianity were, were not only not tolerated, but people were assassinated for practicing them is because Christianity and Judaism were the only two religions on earth that practiced something called monotheism. Monotheism is the belief that there is only one God. In Rome, you were allowed to worship whoever you wanted to as long as you also worshiped the emperor, i.e. Nero. Nero hated Christians so bad that he would have them gathered up, would have them imprisoned in his palace, and on a nightly basis, when the sun went down, he would have a Christian brought from a cell and would have them lit on fire so that it could light his garden. The apostle Paul said he is a tool of God that we should submit ourselves to his authority because all authority comes from God. The devil is a rebel and he hates authority. So what he wants to do is incite rebellion. And he wants to incite rebellion because authority covers us. When we are under authority, the devil cannot touch us. We have to determine that authority isn't cramping our style, it's covering our lives. So in order for the devil to destroy us, he has to incite rebellion because as soon as we're in rebellion, we're out from under authority. And so the devil starts to say things like, you know you're smarter than them. You know they don't know what they're doing, right? And, 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 and he will begin to have people come to you and say, I wish you were the manager. I wish you were the supervisor. I wish, I wish they would fire Jim and put you. The devil will use other people to rally you to his ideas. To, he'll have people speak things to you like, look how much he runs his mouth. Or why can't he just stay off Twitter? But all earthly authority is imperfect. But the devil uses every imperfection to cause us to question them and accuse them, which then opens us up to rebellion. Because if we can question or criticize or rebel against our earthly authority when we don't agree with them or when we don't understand them, we will then be able to question or criticize or rebel against our heavenly authority when we don't agree with him or when we don't understand him. So we have to take those thoughts into captivity and say, I may not agree or understand, but I am going to respect and submit because they are my authority. Authority is of God. Church is of God. Marriage and family 
they are of God, and they are all God's tools to defeat the devil. So to succeed in those relationships, we're going to have to fight the devil. We are going to have to take our thoughts captive and put them at spear point or put them at sword point and defeat the slanderer, defeat the accuser, because Scripture tells us that we do that by placing ourselves under God's authority, then resisting the devil so he will run away. Have you done that? Have you placed yourself under God's authority? And have you resisted the devil? Because until you do, he will never run from you. He will never leave you alone because the devil, he is in the details. Would you close your eyes all across this place? That's the essential nature of what salvation is. Salvation, which is a churchy word, and we use it as if people understand what it means, but what salvation means is a rescuing. You need a rescuing. You need more than a physical rescuing today. You need more than a relational rescuing today. You need a spiritual rescuing. And the only way that you can do that is by placing yourself under God's authority and resisting the devil. We call that salvation, a rescuing. And so this morning, I wonder if you're here and you say, Sean, I need to be rescued from my sin, from my shame, from myself. This morning, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. And here's how. In just a moment, I'm going to ask for people to do two things. The first thing will be our form of confession, where we confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. And in a moment, I'm going to have you do that by raising your hand and making eye contact with me with no one looking around. The second thing I'm going to do is our form of profession. You professing that Jesus can save you. And we're going to do that by you repeating a prayer after me. I'm going to say a prayer and everyone in here is going to repeat it. Not just you because we're not here to center you out or make you feel small. So if you're here, you say, Sean, I need to submit myself to God's authority and resist the devil. I need to receive Jesus into my life with nobody looking around. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Make eye contact with me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Did this anybody? Okay. I'm going to ask every. Thanks. I'm going to ask everybody in here to say these words after me. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Come into my life and change me. Make me different. Make me new. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I submit myself to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to do me one favor. Take that card that I talked about earlier that says hello across the top. Tear off the bottom part. Fill it out. Check the spot that's highlighted in yellow that says I'm choosing to follow Jesus. And either put it in the black buckets when it comes around or take it out to the Welcome Center. Either way, I just want the opportunity to pray for you, to follow up with you. And there is a packet that if you want to go to the Welcome Center or it's outside both side doors here, that inside there, there's a three-month daily devotional. There's a CD called What Now, which is a 12-minute presentation on how to effectively move from this point that you're at right now to the place where God wants you to be, which is more like Jesus. And so I would love it if you would pick both of those things up. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes one more time. Don't leave yet. We're not done. Pastor Sonny's going to close us out here in just a second. But I wonder if you're here and you say, Sean, I'm a Jesus guy or I'm a Jesus girl. Uh, but I've got some broken relationships. I, I don't know if that's with a spouse or a parent or a sibling or a child, a friend, 
but there is a broken relationship in your life and it is hurting you. If that's you, I want to pray for you. So if that's you, would you just raise your hand all across this place? Yep, so many people. God, thank you for my friends. Thank you that you are the restorer of all things. So God, today, thank you that you being the God of relationships are hungry to restore and renew all of those things that are broken today. When it happens, we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.